Welcome to the WVS Podcast, brought to you by WeddingVideographySchool.com, your online resource for building a wedding videography business from start to finish. And now, here's your host, Michael Lee Ring. Hey guys, this is Michael. Welcome to another episode of the WVS Podcast, brought to you by WeddingVideographySchool.com. Oh wow, where where to start? It has been a crazy uh, few months. Uh, I've been traveling a lot to see family and friends over the holidays. Um, I traveled with my son Henry, who's 11 months, uh, <laughs> for the first time on an airplane. And man, I he did pretty well overall. Uh, but it was definitely an experience. Um, I've always been one of those travelers who like kind of cringes when somebody with a baby sits next to me on the airplane. I get really nervous about, you know, oh great, is this kid going to cry or what? And now I am the person with the baby. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's a very interesting experience. Uh, from the other side, and um, let's just say now I have total sympathy for uh, the parents whose kids are crying on the airplane, because it is uh, probably less, it's more of a frustrating experience for the parents, for sure, than it is for the other passengers, because, you know, the parents don't want the kids to cry, and that's the last thing I wanted, so when my kid cried for, like, a total of, like, five minutes on our flight to New Jersey, I, the whole five minutes, my, I think my blood pressure was like through the roof. I was just like, (laughs) I'm just like such a polite person that I don't want to disturb other people. And, uh, so just trying to travel with a kid and getting used to being the parent in the situation is uh, definitely a new experience. So I got to experience that. Um, and yeah, that, that was, that was exciting. Um, I traveled to New York city for my first, uh, New York city wedding shoot, my first big apple wedding. Uh, and I was pretty nervous for a majority of the trip. Um, I brought a friend with me to help me out with the wedding. And, uh, you know, I, he, we hung out the day uh, after we got there, we, we went around and went sightseeing, um, the first day and, uh, which was, which was really fun, but I think he could tell the whole time that I, all I had on my mind was this wedding. Um, and so he, he knew that as soon as the wedding was over, I would feel much better. And, uh, I learned a lot about shooting weddings in New York city. Um, you know, I learned a lot about New York City traffic that I had kind of forgotten about since the last time I visited. Um, I think I sort of learned how to figure out the subway system and how to get from one place to another. Uh, I'm not really good at reading the subway signs, so (laughs) that was one thing I had to kind of navigate and learn. And luckily, my buddy had uh, traveled to London um, a couple of years ago. And I think he lived there for like six months or something. It was a while and he, he got used to taking all the trains and everything. So he had a good idea of how to, how to use the subway system uh, in New York. And so that was really helpful. Um, 
but yeah, just a lot of nuances uh, about New York City and, and, and shooting there. Um, one thing is if you want to shoot with a drone in New York City, it's very difficult to do legally. I'd say it's almost impossible to do legally. Um, so I decided to leave my drone at home and I actually licensed um, aerial footage for my wedding video, which I have never done before. I've never licensed footage that I didn't shoot uh, to include in a wedding, but uh, we were there when Trump had just been, Trump had actually, this was back in November, and Trump had just been announced as the president-elect, um, and he was living in Trump Tower, and they put like this huge no-fly zone around Trump Tower in Midtown Manhattan where the wedding was and where we were staying. So uh, shooting with a drone would have been impossible. And, um, you know, even with the no-fly zone there, shooting with a drone in and around New York City is also, you know, pretty much impossible uh, if, you're, if you're doing things legally. Um, just because you got to get air traffic control permission and stuff like that. And from what I've heard from um, professional drone pilots, uh, the air traffic controllers at the New York airports are never going to allow a drone to, to fly um, without very special circumstances. Uh, they're just not going to, they're just not going to grant their permission for that. So um, anyway, uh, that's that was kind of a little summary of my NYC wedding. I'll be posting that. I actually just sent that wedding out to the couple today. I I finished the video a little bit longer than I was anticipating it would be, and uh, I personally think it kind of drags a little bit during the vows. Um, they had they had some pretty good vows, but they were long, and I kind of didn't know how much to cut. You know, usually I can I can cut stuff and you know, shorten those vows a little bit, but this wedding was, uh, I don't know. I, maybe I was just nervous about the New York city thing. It's such a big deal to me. Um, you know, the idea of, of, of shooting there and, uh, but yeah, this video went a little long, but you can check it out at filmsaboutlove.com if you wish. And, um, I'll be posting that here, hopefully within the next few days. Um, Let's see here. And I'm finishing up the last couple weddings from 2016. So um, basically making a couple revisions to a wedding that I finished last week. And then I'll be starting a wedding that I shot on New Year's Eve uh, next week and hopefully having that wrapped up uh, in about a week or week and a half or so. Um, you know, in January, I start thinking about goals. And in 2016, and I'm just going to share a couple goals that I had for 2016. Um, actually, I, looking back on 2016, I was very, and I know better, so I, I kind of feel really stupid about it, but I was not good at setting goals last year. I had a couple in my mind that I wanted to reach. Um, but mostly what I wrote down was just stuff that I wanted, <laughs> which looking back was kind of dumb because I didn't get any of the things that I wanted. I wanted to buy an, another iMac, um, which I didn't do. I wanted to buy a MacBook Pro, which I didn't do. I wanted to get some LED video lights, which I didn't do. So 
I basically just wrote a list of stuff that I wanted, which isn't really the same thing as writing goals. So this year, uh, I'm taking it more seriously, and I'm going to share a couple goals that I have for this year. And I'd encourage anybody out there listening to definitely send me your list of goals for 2017. Um, you don't have to send personal goals if you don't want, um, but me, send me some business-related goals that you have and things that you want to accomplish in 2017. And I might read some of them on uh, some upcoming podcasts. And you know, your your goals might inspire somebody else to. Uh, you know, so I do this thing with my wife every week, every year where I ask her what her goals are and she is just a different person than me because her goals are like, I don't know. I, it's kind of messed up for me to say they're not goals, but they don't really seem like goals to me. She's just not a goal oriented kind of person. She's more of a living in the present kind of a person. So, um, so some people are like that and they have a hard time coming up with goals. So if you send me some goals, I'll read them on the podcast and uh, I think that'll help uh, inspire some people who, who maybe have a hard time setting goals for themselves. Um, 2016, I did accomplish one big goal that I kind of had in my mind. I never even wrote it down, um, but I had it in my mind the whole year. And I'm really happy and humbled to say that I, for the first time uh, since starting my business, I grossed six figures. Um, so I finally broke the $100,000 uh, gross income uh, mark, barrier, whatever you want to call it. I was finally able to do it and I'm just so excited. Um, and you know, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging because I'm certainly not. I know there's people out there who are probably crushed that barrier a, a long time ago. Um, but I know there's a lot of people out there who haven't. And, um, you know, I just really want people to know that it's possible to make a six-figure income um, from from shooting wedding videos and running your own business and, um you know, it's just me running this business. I don't have a team of people. I do have some other videographer friends that help me shoot weddings and that I contract out to help me do weddings and stuff, but I don't have any full-time employees. And I started this business from basically nothing. So if I can do that uh, in seven years, which I guess kind of seems like a long time, um, but if I can finally hit six figures in seven years, I mean, I think anybody can do it. Um, and had I known this, everything I know now, back when I first started, I probably would have hit this goal a long time ago. So, uh, just a little encouragement for those of you out there who are, who are really wanting to maybe get out of a $35,000 a year job, uh, which is what I was doing before wedding videography. Um, you know, I, I really did, you know, triple my income pretty much. So, uh, it's definitely doable. You just got to educate yourself and keep growing, keep shooting weddings, and get out there. Um, I'm going to quickly share a couple goals uh, for 2017 that I have with you guys, and then we'll move on to uh, a really cool update that's audio-related, and then uh, we'll, we'll hit up some uh, emails that I've got. I'll read a couple of emails that I've gotten in the past weeks 
and uh, address some some questions in those emails. So first for uh, 2017, I'm just going to read a couple of these things off. I don't want to bore you guys, but uh, I have a little bit of tax debt that I want to pay off. Um, a few years ago, I got in a little bit of trouble, not legally speaking, um, but I got a little bit in trouble because I didn't set enough aside for taxes. And I'm sure I'm not the only one out there who has done that. I got to the end of the year, uh, looked at my profit and loss statement and realized I did not set enough aside to pay all my taxes. So I want to pay off that small amount of tax debt. Uh, I got a car loan for about 3,500 bucks that I'd like to knock out here uh, in the next few months. Uh, it's a car I bought a couple of years ago. Um, and a little tip for you guys, I'm, I kind of am really big on the financial side of things. I'm really learning a lot about you know, personal finance and business finance and really getting that kind of stuff in order. Don't ever buy a new car. Um, you know, I know it's tempting. I, I like the smell of new cars, um, but I, I will just never buy a new car. And the car I have now, now isn't a new car. I don't think I've, I actually haven't ever bought a new car and I'm glad because it's just such a waste of money. You can get a great car that's used for a lot less than a new car. So, um, that's just a little, little side note for you. Um, I want to save $15,000 for my winter fund. Uh, what that is, is basically in Colorado, we have uh, weddings are pretty seasonal. Um, I'm doing a couple winter weddings this year and that, you know, that isn't super typical for me. Um, I don't always work in the winter, but uh, you know, this, this last year I saved up about $8,000 to cover a few months off. Uh, just to cover my basic expenses. And I'm thinking next year, I would just kind of want to double that amount. Uh, I realized that that would be 16,000, but I did the numbers and to live comfortably for me to still be able to go out and eat and like hang out with friends and pretty much do fun stuff um, on my weeks off. Um, 15, 15 K will probably, will probably get me through the downtime. So I want to save up that money. Uh, another little tip for you guys. Uh, I use Capital One 360, their savings account online. It's an online bank, so there's no like um, branches. You can't just walk into a branch location or anything like that. Um, but the cool thing about the Capital One 360 savings account is, one, it pays you a little bit more interest than your local bank um, because they don't have any brick and mortar branches to maintain. Um, and you know, that being said, like most banks really don't pay you. I mean, let's be honest, like interest rates are really terrible. Um, I mean, if you want to go out and buy a house, interest rates are great right now, but if you want to put your money in a bank account and just let it sit, um, you know, inflation is just going to eat away at your funds. So, uh, if you guys have a bunch of money just sitting in a savings account, unless you're going to be using that money within the next year or so, or six months or something like that, I would probably look into putting it in some sort of investment account, like uh, in mutual funds or something like that. Because um, you're really just losing money if you leave a ton of money sitting in the bank. Um, so yeah, and the, oh, the other cool thing about the Capital One 360 account is you can actually set up... Uh, like folders basically for 
your uh, accounts, right? So like I have an account that I call Winter is Coming, right? And that's my, uh, it's my Game of Thrones reference for, the, for those of you who like that show. Um, I have a Winter is Coming account and that's where I put in uh, money throughout the year for, for my slow months. And then um, I have another account called, um, you know, Gear Fund. That's where I set aside some money so that, you know, by the end of the year, I can maybe buy a new camera or something like that. Um, or, you know, if, if something breaks, I can, I can take money out of there to use to get it fixed. Um, and then I have, like, another account on there called Taxes, right? So four times a year, I withdraw all the money out of that account to pay my estimated taxes, um, and so I, I really like the Capital One 360 savings account just because you can label your different accounts. Um, and the app is really useful too. They have a Capital One 360 app. And no, I am not getting paid by Capital One, although I feel like I should be because I think I said their name like uh, 10 times in the last couple minutes. So uh, maybe they should become a podcast sponsor. If anybody knows anyone over at Capital One, uh, definitely let them know about the podcast. <laughs> um, and this year, I, I want to gross an additional $15,000, right? So um, I, I broke through a barrier this last year, which was big in my mind. And now I just kind of want to keep building on that. And uh, two other goals that I have real quick is one, I want to save $25,000 to do some investing outside of the stock market and outside of my own business. Um, just some personal investments I want to do. And the last thing that I want to do, and really it might be one of the things that I accomplished earlier in the year, uh, hopefully within the next couple months, is I want to get my remote pilot's license. Um, for those of you who are getting into the drone scene and you're shooting drone video as part of your, your wedding packages, um, whether or not you're charging for you know, your drone video, uh, if you're using your drone in a commercial capacity, and I'll just say it like this just so we clear the air about it, if you're using your drone in a wedding video, you are using it in a commercial capacity. Um, that's what the law says. I know some people say, well, I'm not charging the client for the drone, so technically I'm not using it. Uh, but I can tell you that that's not how the law is going to see it. And I do think it's kind of silly for the FAA to say that, you know, if you're using your drone in a commercial capacity, then you need to get a Part 107 uh, remote pilot's license certificate uh, in order to do that, because I think. If you're flying a drone at all, you should probably have basic knowledge about, uh, you know, <laughs> just being safe and avoiding other aircraft and not flying in restricted airspaces and being aware of your surroundings. I think there needs to be a drone class that everybody who has a drone needs to take. Um, but apparently the FAA is a little more interested in making money um, off these pilots licenses. So. Uh, that being said, uh, that is kind of my little soapbox there, but I do want to get my part 107, uh, pilot's license, uh, so that I can fly my drone legally. Um, so I'm about halfway through a course on the website drone you, uh, you should definitely check it out. 
um, I am well on my way to getting my certificate and becoming fully legal to to fly. So um, yeah, again, DroneU.com. They have a great course that I've been taking uh, on, on, on flying and they'll help you prep for your part 107 test for those of you that wanna do that. Um, so those are a few of my goals. Um, Again, share some goals with me. I want to I want to hear what you guys have going on, and hopefully we can inspire some people to to take action and uh, start their own goal list for 2017. Uh, a quick announcement about uh, uh, more of like a little update as far as audio stuff goes. Uh, if you've listened to the pot, past podcasts, you know that I'm pretty into audio. I I care a lot about. Um, audio recording at my weddings, getting good sound at the ceremony and reception um, for, you know, like vows and toasts and the officiant and stuff like that. Even readings, people get up and, you know, they'll read um, out of the Bible or they'll read uh, some sort of, you know, thing at a wedding or whatever. I like to have great, clear audio for all that stuff. And I am actually using a new... Um, Lav mic, which is awesome. You're actually listening to it right now, and it's the Tascam DR10L, and it's like a wireless microphone, uh, in you know the the body style and everything, but it is not a wireless system. So there's uh, no transmitter, no receiver. It's basically just this little body pack, which is like half the size of the Sennheiser EW100 G3 series. Uh, for those of you who are familiar with that, um, this body pack is like, oh, man, it's almost half the size of the, the Sennheisers. Um, so it is finally like a reasonable size body pack to put on you know, an officiant or groom or whatever. Um, it was kind of a difficult but not really decision for me to switch over from the Sennheiser wireless. Um, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I've used the Sennheisers for the longest time, and I found them to be pretty reliable. Um, sometimes they get some interference, uh, but most of the time they're, they're, they've been a good workhorse for me. And uh, I have always liked being able to monitor my audio while recording. Um, and with the Tascam DR10, you really don't have the option of monitoring your audio while recording. I mean, you, there is a headphone jack, so you can you know, test your levels and um, stuff like that. You can set your input levels and stuff, but you know, while, I mean, you're not gonna leave those headphones plugged in when your groom walks up to get married or your officiant walks up to do the wedding. I mean, it's just not gonna happen. So, um, so you basically really can't um, monitor the audio while you record. Uh, I mean, you can, but again, like technically you can leave the headphones in, but that's just never, you're never gonna do that. So, um, you know, the audio gets recorded to a mini SD card uh, or micro SD, sorry, I think it's called micro SD. And um, it's, it's awesome. I gotta say, it's, it's a little weird, and I've used this on uh, a few weddings. Actually, the first wedding that I used it on was my New York wedding, and it worked out great. Um, 
you know, once you get it set up correctly, it's perfect. I pretty much never have to adjust the settings on it. Um, it's really a fantastic little uh, microphone. And it's difficult to get used to the idea of not listening to the audio as it's being recorded. Um, but I've been in situations where I knew my audio wasn't coming through correctly and I still didn't do anything about it, right? Because I'm not the kind of videographer who's going to run up on stage while a wedding's going on and mess with a microphone pack on the or on the groom or the officiant or whatever. It's just I'm never going to do it. So there were a couple times um, last year where something was going wrong with my Sennheiser wireless. Um, it was mostly my fault. It was user error. And I didn't run up on stage and interrupt the ceremony or anything like that to fix the audio. So what I realized now is that if I can simplify my audio setup um, and instead of having a transmitter and a receiver and then a rec an external recorder that I'm plugging that stuff into and recording, you know, I'm using basically three devices to record one person and I've got two or three people that I'm miking up plus some other external recorders that I'm running. That's a lot of stuff to be dealing with. And that's a lot of room for error. It's a lot of room for me to forget to turn one thing on or to hit record on one you know, unit and then lose a whole, a whole track of audio. So I figured, you know what? I am gonna simplify my audio setup. I am going to buy a few of these Tascam DR10Ls and I am just going to trust that they're going to work. Um, obviously, you need to <laughs> you need to do your research and you need to do your testing before you take them out on a wedding shoot. I wouldn't go out and you know use something I've never used before on a wedding uh, without you know figuring out uh, the nuances of the product and all that kind of stuff. But um, so you really want to do that, but. I figured if I can simplify my audio setup and only hit record on a few devices, then that's really going to limit the amount of screw-ups that I'm going to have. Um, so yeah, the Tascam DR10L, it's awesome. You guys should really check it out. Um, I could go, I could talk about this thing all day, but I'm not going to. Um, so let's let's get into some emails that I've been getting from people. Um, I got this email a while back from, and I don't know if it's Darrell or if it's Daryl, uh, but uh, Daryl or Darrell, sorry about butchering your name here, uh, Williams, he says uh, he wants to know about wedding business marketing, website design, SEO, which is search engine optimization for anybody who may not know that, uh, and social media. So... And I'm just going to hit on these things, you know, again, these are topics that, you know, you could probably write a whole book about. Um, I couldn't necessarily because I wouldn't say I'm a wedding business marketing genius or anything. Um, but I do know a few things about it. So I'll, I'll kind of talk a little bit about each of these things. Um, not very in depth, but just enough to get people kind of started in a direction. Um, Wedding business marketing. The first thing that I think about when I think of wedding business marketing is, you know, somebody probably going out and printing up a bunch of business cards or maybe advertising on the knot or wedding wire or maybe Facebook ads or Google AdWords or something like that. And, you know, I'll be honest, none of that stuff really 
appeals to me all that much. Um, I haven't had business cards in a couple of years. Um, I ran out and then just never really ordered any more. Um, but also kind of the reason why I didn't order more was because I, I wasn't really being asked for them that much. And it took me like, it really did take me like five years to run out of like a hundred business cards. Um, and I thought, you know what, like, I don't know, part of me thinks I should get some more, but I've been doing just fine without them. So I wouldn't make business cards a huge priority, but if you feel like it's going to be useful to you, then, then do it. Um, as far as the knot and wedding wire are concerned, I've never been big, a big proponent of them, mostly because they're one of these websites, um, or both of them are kind of these websites that really, th you know, they thrive when people advertise with them. And the thing about that for me that I don't like is they're not necessarily looking out for you, right? They're just running their business. And I get it. That's, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not bashing them. Um, but I remember somebody from Wedding Wire had called me up one time and they were just like totally um, being really pushy about getting me to sign on uh, to sign a contract and advertise with them. And I said, how about this? How about... Um, how about I do like a month long membership and just kind of see how it goes. And they said, no, you got to commit to like a six months or a year or whatever it was. And they were like really pushy. And like, um, I just, the call did not go well. And I kind of walked away from that thinking, I don't really want to do business with people like that because they're really just trying to sell me on stuff and companies that spend all their time trying to sell people on stuff. I don't think usually have a good product. Now that's just my opinion. I actually personally know some wedding videographers who have done pretty well with Wedding Wire, um, but it's just not something that I care about. I have the free profile on The Knot and I have the free profile on Wedding Wire, um, but I don't know if anybody ever really even sees those. <laughs> so uh, I will. the one thing I will say though is about The Knot and I had a bride when I was first getting started, who posted something about my business in one of the forums. Um, there's like brides that can go on there and I grooms too, whoever can really go on there and kind of research. And there's like a whole, f there's all these forums. And one of them was like videographers in Colorado or something like that. And um, somebody had posted like they were looking for a good wedding videographer in Colorado or something. And so my bride responded to that thread with my name and my business name and all that stuff. And so I actually got several weddings just from my name being mentioned uh, in the forums. And I think even so much as like within the last year, this was posted a few years ago, and within the last year I had somebody say that they saw me on the knot. And I, I highly doubt they saw my profile. Um, they probably just saw the forum posts because I had a bunch of people uh, come to me after seeing that forum post. So, um, you know, it's, if you can get somebody to mention you in the, the forum posts on there, then that's, that might even be better than having a profile in my opinion. Um, and the other thing about wedding business marketing that I wanted to say is, you know, we can sit here and talk about, you know, Google and Facebook ads too. And I, 
and, and the not and all that stuff. And, you know, I never really had much success with Facebook ads. It's been a while since I've done it. I guess I could, if you know, if I was feeling like I really wanted to book a ton more weddings, which I, I don't really at this point, um, I, maybe I would give it another shot. Um, Google AdWords, I do have experience with. I didn't really like Google AdWords. I think if I had to guess, I'd bet, I'd probably place my money on Facebook probably being a better source of, um, of leads because Google AdWords, like everybody knows when you're searching on Google, um, that those top results at the very top are all ads. And I feel like people just, if you're anything like me, you just skip down past that. Um, I don't even look at the ads. I really don't. Uh, I go straight for uh, the organic search results. Um, so yeah, I, I would say, you know, don't stress about the business cards. Don't stress about the marketing. Just go out and shoot weddings and you're going to book more weddings. You really have to get out there and shoot. Um, and I know what pe some people are thinking. They're thinking, well, how can I book a wedding if I've never shot a wedding before? And my answer is simply go out and do whatever it takes to shoot your first wedding. And the very, f I'll say this, the very first wedding I ever shot, um, I, I was actually working for someone else and I shot, uh, they were paying me to do a different, like it was a video job that I had. Um, I got paid to like edit videos and stuff. Um, but I, I made like 11 bucks an hour or something like that. And, uh, they had me go shoot this wedding with two other guys and they just paid me my normal rate, which looking back, <laughs> it was, it was kind of a shady thing. I think they, I think there was some stuff going on that probably like legally probably shouldn't have happened. But anyway, I went out and shot this wedding for $11 an hour. And I think I got like a $50 tip or something. Maybe it was a hundred bucks. I don't know. I know the guy who, whose daughter it was that was getting married, like had a ton of money. He was really successful. Um, and anyway, I remember him giving me like 50, I'm almost positive it was like 50 bucks or something at the end of the day. And I was actually pretty happy about it. Um, but in hindsight, I look back and I think, oh man, what what a joke that was. Because I remember we were shooting with these big studio broadcast cameras that we had. This was like before DSLR was like, it was probably around the time that DSLR was starting to maybe emerge. Um, I think maybe it was the same year the Canon 5D Mark II came out. Um, but yeah, it was, it was backbreaking work and uh, it was terrible. It was, it was awful. Um, the first wedding that I shot in my own business turned out much better, but I actually did that one for free just because I was, it had been a while since I shot that first one and I was just so nervous that I'd screw up that I said, I'll do it for free. And then from there, I mean, I had people contacting me after doing my first free wedding. And then if you've read some of my other posts or listened to some of the other podcasts, I think I paid, or I think I charged like $250 for my next wedding and then maybe um, 500 for the next one and just kept building up until finally I hit a thousand dollars. And then, you know, at the time I was still working a full-time job at TV news where I was getting paid like, you know, I think I was getting paid, 
like uh, still probably like 11 bucks an hour or so to, to do news stuff. And on the weekends, I'd go out and make a thousand bucks, which was like really huge to me at, at the time. Um, and so I've just worked my prices up from there. But I would say start small, like just get out there and shoot weddings. And I promise you that people will start sending you emails and calling you and saying, hey, uh, can you shoot my wedding? And then you just give them a price that you're comfortable with. Um, and then just work that, keep working that price up. Don't, don't sit at a low price for too long. I mean, it's, I get it. Like sometimes you may only feel like you're worth a thousand bucks, you know, especially in the beginning. Um, but don't be afraid to kind of, as you do more weddings and as you become better and better and learn to, to raise that price incrementally. Um, so maybe you decide to raise it $250 or $500, or maybe you're feeling really good and you think you can compete with the other people in your market. Uh, and once you get to that point, then start charging two, three, four, five, six, whatever, whatever your market dictates, start charging that amount. Um, oh man. So that was a lot. Uh, uh, let's see what else was, uh, Daryl talking about here. Website design. Um, yeah, I would say start small with that too. When I first started, I had a Tumblr blog. Um, you can still sign up for a Tumblr blog page. Um, I used the free templates on there for a while. I think eventually, like <laughs> after I had shot like six or seven weddings and I started to put these on my blog, I think I'd maybe sprung for like a $50 premium theme option where you can uh, get a better looking theme on the the uh the tumblr blog uh platform um that was a really easy way for me to get started and i would post about everything i would post about uh here's the most recent video i shot and then i would do like a blog post in between videos because i didn't have any content on my website so i would say like uh, this is back when i was making dvds still and i was like here's a preview of our dvd menu for um you know this couple or whatever and you know just find filler stuff that you can talk about and and just write about what you're doing um if especially if you don't have a ton of videos because uh, you just you don't want an empty website so just find things to write about uh post maybe some behind the scenes photos from your weddings or something like that just anything you can do to kind of fill that space um i would say do it and then, you know, eventually you can work your way up to like a WordPress site. Um, right now, I'm loving WordPress in combination with the Divi theme, uh, D-I-V-I. And you can pick up that theme from uh, elegantthemes.com, I believe is who sells that. And it's a little bit of work getting started with it and figuring it out. But I'm sure you could find somebody who would be willing to sit down with you and walk you through it for like 500 bucks. I'm sure you could go on Craigslist or something and you could probably have some, somebody would jump at the chance to earn 500 bucks to like teach you how to like do the whole WordPress thing. Um, so that's what I would recommend as far as website design. Definitely WordPress with the Divi theme. I know a ton of people out there are using it and loving it. Um, there's a lot of website designers that are exclusively using that theme to pretty much build all their websites. And it is, um, I think right now, it's one of the better options for small business owners. Um, as far as SEO goes, uh, search engine optimization, yeah, that 
I, I should just do a whole video on exactly how I, uh, my strategy for using WordPress and Divi theme for, so, uh, for SEO. Um, I'll probably put together a video guy for you guys on that. Um, and I'll probably charge a few bucks for it too, just cause it, I think it is one of the keys to my success, um, is, is really writing and tagging and doing everything uh, SEO related to, to get my website up to. And actually, I'm gonna look right now, sitting at my computer here, I'm gonna look right now and see if, when you type in Denver wedding videographer, who comes up first on Google? Oh, let me make sure I'm using Google here because I feel like they're kind of the king of search. Um, so you, yeah, you have all the ads and then you have the first result that's organic is wedding videographers in Denver, Colorado, and that's the not. And the second result is me, which is films about love. So, um, yeah, that's, that's what I would say. Uh, I'm going to do a video on how I got to basically number one. Sometimes I'm number one. Sometimes I'm number three. I kind of bounce around in the top three there, but I'm typically pretty high up there. So I'll, I'll do a video and show you guys exactly what I'm doing. Uh, and it's going to be a video about using WordPress with the Divi theme because, you know, um, you know, it kind of, it's going to vary from platform to platform your SEO strategy. So I'll just do a video on, on what I do. Um, as far as Social media goes, I am not really the best person to talk to about social media. Maybe I'll get somebody on the podcast to talk about social media, but I'm terrible at it. Uh, I mean, I know how to set up a Facebook page. I know how to use Instagram and all that stuff, but I really just don't do it that much. I'm really inconsistent about it. Um, I think I had like almost a full year between Facebook posts in 2016, so uh, social media to me, I mean, I get by just fine without really utilizing it. Um, but you know, that may not be the best strategy for everybody. So hopefully I can get somebody on here to talk about social media. If you're a social media genius or you've been growing your business using social media, um, and, and making, uh, you know, big leaps and bounds with that, email me at michael at weddingvideographyschool.com and we'll, we'll get you on the podcast. Um, next email is from Andrew and actually real quick before we do Andrew's email and this will be the last thing that we do today, but, uh, back to wedding business marketing, as far as I get asked about my name a lot, my business name. Uh, and for me, you know, the best advice that I can give someone as far as choosing a name is to a, keep it simple. Don't get don't try to get too creative with it because then you just end up coming up with a, a stupid name. Uh, no offense to all the creatives out there, but seriously, I've heard some really ridiculous creative, and I'm saying creative in air quotes here, uh, names that are just like, they just end up sounding cheesy uh, the more creative you try to get with it. So um, I remember films about love just kind of popped into my head and I thought, you know what, it's simple. It's kind of catchy for brides, like, and you got to remember that brides are definitely our demographic. There are grooms and 
planners and mother of brides and family members who are our demographic and target audience too, but they're definitely not as big as the bride market. So uh, brides are who you want to target. Um, and once you come up with a name, again, keep it simple. Don't get, don't try to get too creative with it. Uh, stick with it. Stick with that name. Um, it should be something that uh, you can keep for the next you know, 10 years or however long you want to run your business for. Um, you really want, you really want a name that's going to last. If you're having a hard time coming up with something, that's fine. I would just do maybe your name, uh, and then put weddings on the end of it. Um, you know, we had a guest on here, Dustin Stelly, uh, from Stelly Weddings. Uh, great name, super simple. And, uh, you know, he's had great success with that name. So I would say just keep it simple. And then once you have it, stick with it. Cause the last thing you want to do is change your name after you've gotten like a pretty good buildup of clientele and stuff like that. Because if you change your name, it's just really confusing for, um, all the people who might be thinking about hiring you, who you may not even know exist yet. So, um, so yeah, so let's move on. Andrew says, uh, let's see. He sent me an email. He said he would like to hear more of the same focus on establishing a brand, uh, my work, understanding how to value your work initially and reevaluate as it improves and demand raising rates. So he's saying, you know, he wants to learn more about how to value his own work, and then, especially in the beginning, and then reevaluate how much he should charge as he gets better, um, which I kind of hit on a little while ago, so I don't know if I'll really talk about that, but it's kind of the same strategy of, is starting small, right? Like, come up with a number that you feel comfortable shooting a wedding for, uh, if it's your first or second or third or fourth wedding, and then just shoot it for that, and then you know, do it a couple times and then raise your prices again. Don't feel like you can't raise your prices whenever you want. You can raise your prices whenever you want. You don't have to wait till January 1st. You don't have to wait till, you know, whatever you can. It's your business. You can do it whenever you want. Um, and he also wants to know the right way to price in gear depreciation, um, which is a great question. That's more of a tax question. Uh, and I don't have a ton of experience with depreciation. That's actually one of the things in regards to taxes that I need to learn more about. Um, and he wants to learn about uh, offering customers a choice of drones depending on their budget, but not he's not sure how to price one against the other. Um, and he says he thinks the hardest part about becoming a wedding filmmaker is while most newbies generally come in knowing enough about the craft to get in, they know nothing about running a sustainable business. And I'm a representative of that. Well, thanks for your uh, honesty, Andrew. Definitely appreciate uh, people willing to admit uh, their shortcomings and wanting and seeking out to learn more. So thank you for your email. Uh, let's try to break this down. Establishing a brand. I think I really kind of went over that with the wedding business marketing. Um, you know, really what you want to do is come up with a good, simple name 
and then just get out there and shoot. That's how you're gonna establish your brand, right? Establishing your brand is you getting out and busting your butt to get those first few weddings and then busting your butt some more to get those next three weddings and then busting your ass again to get the next you know, years worth of work. And it is work. Like, I'm not gonna sit here and say that I didn't work weekends and everything just kind of fell into my lap and one wedding led to another all the time because that's just not how it happened. You know, I sent emails to planners saying, hey, my name is Michael, here's my website. I know that you might be interested in, um, you know, recommending a reliable videographer to your clients. Um, you know, take a look at my work. Uh, if you want me to buy you lunch or coffee or whatever, I'm more than happy to do that. We can get to know each other. Um, I think I had like one, I sent like a bunch of emails to planners. I think I, maybe I had one planner get back to me. Um, so yeah, there were definitely times where things didn't really work out that well, but I was just persistent, right? So that's what I would say in terms of establishing a brand, just figure out you know, a name and then just start shooting. That's, that's really what you're going to do. You really just got to go out there and approach people. Um, put an ad on Craigslist, say, I'm looking to shoot my first wedding. Uh, you know, it's going to cost me $500 to do it. Does anybody want me to come film their wedding for 500 bucks? You know, um, just, just get out there and start. That's, that's the hardest part. As far as you know, how to value your work initially and then reevaluate it as it improves, um, you know what I did, and I'll, I'll say it again: is I just went out, I charged nothing for the first wedding, uh, I charged five hundred bucks or two hundred fifty bucks for the second wedding, and then just went up increment incrementally each wedding after that until I uh, hit a thousand dollars. So uh, one, two, three. Four, by the fourth wedding, I was making $1,000 per wedding. And then I got nervous and scared <laughs> and I hung out at $1,000 for like a year before I raised <clears throat> my prices again. And I, I had a couple, I had like two packages. I had a $1,000 package and I had a $1,500 package to get me started. And, um, you know, looking back, I could have probably easily done a $1,000 package, a $2,000 package and a $3,000 package. And I just, I didn't because I was, I was too nervous to do that. But once I got comfortable, you know, and you'll feel it, you'll feel it within yourself. You're going to know when you're feeling confident and like, oh yeah, I'm not really that scared of shooting weddings anymore. Like just start raising your prices there. Um, and especially as you see that your calendar is getting booked up, you know, if I, if I book um, 30 weddings in a year, then I know I can raise my prices and maybe I'll only shoot 25 weddings the next year because I raised my prices. But hopefully I raise my prices enough that it makes up for those five weddings that I'm not shooting. So I'm actually doing less work, but making more money. Um, this year, my strategy is actually a little bit different. I'm actually priced um, really kind of in a very medium price point, I think, for my market. And I just have such a great workflow. And I, I'm not trying to brag or anything, but I think I have such a great workflow that... Um, you know, it allows me to do more weddings. So I'm actually trying to do more weddings this year and just overall make a lot more money that way um, without, you know, going crazy with, um, with raising my prices. I actually raised my prices twice this year um, and, and it was just a total of 500 bucks. So it was $250 each time because I was, 
I was really trying to get a feel for what the market here in Colorado is doing. So, um, and I, I'll admit, I am totally right in the middle of um, my in, in pricing. I'm not the lowest, but I'm definitely not the highest. I'm kind of right in the middle uh, for my packages. So um, that's what I think about that. This, this next thing that Andrew was talking about in his email the, with the, the drone thing, I, I find really interesting um, and it's not going to be for a good reason. So I'll, I'll just apologize to you right now, Andrew. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be totally candid with you. I think, um, and here's just to remind everybody what Andrew said. He said he'd like to offer his customers a choice of drones depending on their budget but he's not sure how to price one against the other. I think this, this sounds to me like maybe you want to offer your, you know, uh, a Phantom 3 for a shoot uh, or an Inspire 2 or an Inspire 1 or something. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, those are just two different kinds of drones. The Phantom is um, kind of like a prosumer drone and then the inspire 2 is more of a professional kind of drone um and here's the thing i think this question is way more about you buying an inspire 2 because you want to buy an inspire 2 um, and less about you actually trying to get people to choose between the two drones because that's never going to happen i've never had anybody call me up and say hey i want to book you and about that drone, which one are you using? Like, I think maybe I've ever had like one person ask me in terms of like an actual wedding client. I mean, other people ask me all the time, but in terms of my wedding clients, I think I've only ever had one person ask me what kind of drone I was using. Um, because, and it, they were just more curious. Like it wasn't gonna affect whether they booked me or not. And it wasn't gonna affect how much they paid me. They were just curious. Um, so when it really comes down to it, your clients don't really care about the equipment you're using. They want to know that it's functional and that it's, their wedding is going to look cool. That's it. Like they don't care about whether you're using Sony DSLR or Canon DSLR. They do not care if you're using the Phantom or the Inspire. You might get one client a year who cares, but for the most part, people don't care. They just don't. And it's us who cares, right? It's the videographers. Because I know I want an Inspire 1 or an Inspire 2 or whatever. I totally want that. Um, I totally want the Canon uh, EOS uh, 1DX Mark II. I really want, that's the next camera that I want to buy. Um, but do I need it? Not really. And I haven't bought it yet. In fact, I'm on my way to, my goal this year is to shoot 40 weddings, which is, I never thought I'd say that, but I wanna shoot 40 weddings and I think I can do it. And, um, sorry, my microphone is rubbing against my cable here. Um, I, I think I can do it and I'm doing it still with Canon 5D Mark III's, right? So, and I'm shooting a ton of slow-mo stuff at 720p, 60 frames a second. So, you know, some people would say, man, you're kind of like behind the times. Like you don't even have a Sony a seven or you're not even shooting 1080p yet. Like for, and I am shooting 1080p for like with the Mark two and the other Mark three that I have, you know, for like ceremony and stuff. But like, 
a lot of the time I'm still shooting, I'm limited to 720 because of the Canon 5D Mark III limitations. So, um, and I'm still booking my calendar. People do not care. They don't care about 4K. They don't care about what kind of drone you're using. They just don't care. And I know that we care, but we gotta separate the things that we care about from the things that our clients care about. And I know this because I offered and maybe it's different in other markets, you know, maybe in New York City, people want 4K. I don't know, because I don't know the market. But in Colorado, nobody asked me about 4K. And I had a 4K option um, that I put on my packages and nobody cared. Nobody asked me about it. Nobody was interested. Um, I only had ever had one person ask about 4K and I don't even think they were serious about me doing it. They were just kind of curious about it. So, um, so your idea about the drones and you know charging different prices for different drones, I'm not saying it could never work because um, I don't know everything, but I would say don't do it. I you know until you have the money or until it makes sense for you to buy an Inspire, I would even hold off on that. I mean, I have a Phantom Three and. You know, I would love to get the Phantom 4. I would love to get the Inspire. But, you know, is it really that big of a difference? Not really, because it's not going to make me more money, right? If for some reason I knew that me having the Inspire was going to make me a ton more money, then I would do it. But I already know that it's not going to make me a ton more money. Um, so it's just not, it's not worth it to me. Um, depreciation. I'm going to, I'm going to have to come back to you on that depre depreciation question that you asked. I just don't know enough about the depre depreciation aspect of equipment. Um, I know you can write off depreciation, um, on your taxes, but really you should just consult, um, you know, whoever's going to do your taxes for the year. I would just ask them about that because they're going to have way more information on that than me. So, you know, if you guys have questions, I love to answer questions. So shoot me an email. Uh, you can get in touch with me at Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, at WeddingVideographySchool.com. You can also check out the website. Uh, there's a few really good articles on there. Um, would love to get some more articles up there. If you have something that you'd like to write about, uh, and you want to contribute to WeddingVideographySchool.com, please let me know. Send me some topic ideas. Uh, would love for the many other experts out there um, to weigh in and write some articles and really help out uh, the newbies out there and even some of the more experienced people. Maybe you got an idea for growing uh, income. Maybe you've got an idea for how people can improve their workflows. Or maybe you have an idea... Uh, maybe you're an SEO master or you're a master at taxes or something. Please get in touch with me. I'd love to have you write an article for uh, WeddingVideographySchool.com and uh, really help, help all the other wedding videographers out there uh, come together and learn more about what it is that we're doing and really help people build successful businesses because um, there's nothing worse than having to work for somebody else and making minimum wage doing that. So until next time, guys, get out there, shoot a bunch of weddings, and enjoy life. <laughs>